Uh, so, Felix, you'll like this. Uh, over the weekend, I visited uh, Minnesota's largest candy store. Ooh. And I figured I was, I was thinking of you the whole time. I mean, is, is that where we're going to winter this year? I hope. Um, <laughs> what, 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 what kind of candies did they have there? Did they have any oh, local favorites? Oh, God. They, yeah, they had like every kind of candy. Like I said, this isn't, a, this isn't like a giant barn or they keep, they keep having to add more silos onto this barn. Uh, they have uh, You Betcha, Minnesota's local uh, mints that come in the largest tin, uh, largest tin of mints that is commercially available in the United States is uh, Minnesota's You Betcha brand of breath mints. So they got, got all kinds of Japanese candies. They got every conceivable form of candy known to man in this barn. But it's only open seasonally. So it was closing in a week. So when we went there, it was like mobbed with Minnesotans, like checking out with like fucking like shopping carts full of candy to get them through the winter. Yeah, no, that's um, that's one of the only places left where uh, candy is seasonal. You have to get all your candy for the year in like November. Well, I mean, I, when I went there, I was I was only thinking of you because and it's two of your favorite things are candy in the state of Minnesota. That's a that is a Great Lakes classic though. Um, re, like uh, seasonal marts besides um, Halloween mania or whatever the fuck that store is called. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Spirit. <laughs> Spirit, Halloween. Spirit Halloween. <laughs> Halloween, Halloween mania. mania. <laughs> Halloween you know, you mania. know what I meant. Spirit <laughs> Halloween. Um, okay. We have uh, Chris Kringle Mart in Chicago, which is a, a, um, a good-hearted celebration of German culture. It's a seasonal German Christmas market outdoors in the winter, the kind that used to, that used to exist before the time of Adolf Hitler. Another evil man. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, I had, a, uh, I had a nice weekend in uh, Wisconsin and Minnesota. Shout out to shout out to everyone in the Upper Midwest. You, you know, Chapo fucks with you. You know, we're we're rolling hard for the uh, the, the lakes of this country. Um, but uh, I guess let's just start uh, just a little bit more uh, midterms action. Uh, the Democrats picked up a seat in the in Nevada in the Senate, so they don't even need Warlock now. So bye, bye Warlock. Even... Nice knowing you. <laughs> they defended that seat. They picked up the seat in Pennsylvania. CCM, the fake Latina, actually was uh, the incumbent defending her seat. Um, so they have fifty in hand going into Georgia. But again, I do think you know. I, I think all factors favor Warlock. I do expect Warlock to win the. Uh, I'm sticking with that prediction. We'll 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 see we'll see who gets who gets the gay potioned up. On uh, I, this I'm, particular... willing to, I'm willing to get gay potioned for my faith in Herschel Walker. <laughs> Did you guys know this about uh, the candidate who lost in Nevada, though the challenger to the Waxel. incumbent? Yeah. Did you know this is actually this is actually crazy? He's Pete Dominici's bastard. Yes. Yes. Wait, who is he was Pete Dominici? By the Laxalts. Which is like a, a a a political dynasty in Nevada. Paul Laxalt, who his like fake grandfather or something, was like uh, one of uh, Ronald Reagan's big backers and helped make him president. Uh, and yes, they raised uh, a, a New Mexico senator, uh, Dominici's bastard kid, as their own. It's amazing. It's some Game yeah, of Thrones yeah. shit. It's like he's one of the Greyjoys sent to win- Winterfall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He served under a cadet house, and I guess he would be legitimized if he had won this election. But nope. Yep. Sorry. Still a bastard boy. Did we decide on the Beltway episode that the uh, Game of Thrones bastard's name for uh, Nevada would be Chips? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Chips. Yeah. <laughs> Adam Chips loses to. Uh, well, I guess, what what would a fake Latina be in the Game of Thrones world? Uh, Catherine Cornish. from Volantis. <laughs> I was I see, uh, yeah, like uh, it wasn't wasn't Rob Stark's uh, ill fated wife, um, sort of a a, a Latin style. Uh, uh, yeah, she Volantis. is from Volantis. Yeah, yeah, yeah Volantis. Yeah, like a. Um, you got red my, wedding. Uh, my my Dominican friend uh, pointed out uh, she's been watching uh, House of Dragons, and she pointed out that all the characters their names seem Dominican. Like, All the well, names like that are ones? like Yokarnas Yo- Yo- Targaryen. <laughs> um, and I guess yeah, the other thing is, uh, uh, this was sort of a surprise to me. Uh, Carrie Lake uh, lost the governor's race in Arizona. That's, that's what it looks like now. What? And no. I, she was a, she's a freaking smoke show. Yeah. We need more I, I hot governors. Be, this is no good. I thought she was going to be. I thought she was going to be the one. I thought she was going to be like the one big uh, Trump candidate to. Uh, 
to show out. But uh, no, Carrie Lake uh, looks like she lost as well. Um, Blake Master is officially lost. Um, I mean, the postmortem. <laughs> no I agree way. with you, Felix. The, the postmortem on that campaign is like I would. Yeah, like you, you said, you would read like a Robert Caro's like three like tomes. Uh, detailing everything that went into the Blake Masters Senate run. The decision to take a to, to video, just take a video of him just shooting a suppressed pistol in the desert, like into he's a like puddle. he's like he like he's fucking Dylan uh, Harris getting ready to fucking walk into Columbine. Amazing. This is a Walther PPK. Uh, I've wanted this gun for a long time, ever since I was a little kid. Made in Germany, 007 gun. Why would you not want this? Silencers sometimes get a bad rap. People want to pretend that it makes it easy to commit crime or something like that. But actually, shooting with a silencer just makes it a whole lot more pleasant. Wow. Whisper quiet. It's pretty cool. Made in Germany. Yeah, there was so much active shooter behavior. Like, the, the picture he posted right before the election where he's in the car... With, with the rifle, yeah, yeah but he's like in the he's passenger to go seat. To a target, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's in the passenger seat of a car, and there's like a fucking assault rifle next to him, and he's like gearing up for the last days. You're headed to a polling, headed to a Democratic polling precinct. What's going on? You're headed was, to a, a Mark Kelly's office. I was mutuals with him since the primary. You know, I followed him back because I'm like, oh, let's see how this plays out. Because I already, you know, just based off gut. I did think he was going to lose that Senate election, even before Dobbs, but I wanted to see how it went. But even in my wildest fantasies, nothing I imagined could be as inept and internet-y as what he actually did. He would, like, put out campaign flyers that were like, you know, hey, everyone, say your Blake Masters Groiper name. It's your first and your last name plus Blake Masters Groiper. And voters (laughs) resoundingly said, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I've seen I've seen a lot of bit of the uh, a, a bit of the salt from the, uh, the 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 Blake Masters supporting contingent when like the postmortem just seems to be you we cannot run a guy this weird again like we cannot we cannot run a school shooter for Senate there's just everything about this guy is off putting and creepy and a lot of them have just been posting photos of Blake Masters with his wife and kids to be like I don't know what's weird about this and it's like. Having a family doesn't exempt you from being weird and a creep. Like it's just, just the fact that you, you can get them on the dark web. Marriage, it's not like, difficult. <laughs> Dennis Raider had a family. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I guess like uh, you know, like uh, a, a a week on now from the midterms, I suppose uh, where we're left is like, look, it is uh, it has been it has been very uh, it's felt really good to uh, see the Republicans eat shit and then uh, whine and complain about it. Like, that feels good. And, like, there are very few things in the news that make you feel good these days. But, if, but unfortunately, like, you know, the, as, that, as, as the high of that wears off and, you know, like, we're just licking the baggie a little bit, uh, you know, in Twitter replies, trying to, trying, to, trying to gin up some salt here, trying to just rub it on your gums. I mean, we are we are left now with just back to the old depressing reality of American politics, which is like, I'm, you know, like the Democrats, I'm sure, will uh, learn their lessons from this and, uh, you know, <laughs> change going forward. No, I mean, the fact that they the fact that they were just gifted this 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 great result for them, largely because of the Dobbs decision, means that they're going to be even less less inclined to ever ever function as any kind of party that's worth uh, worth actually voting for. They can't. As to. They can't. Yeah. They can't. It's not optional. They don't get to choose. There's is they do not get to change direction. The it is all determined. There's no party. There's no steering wheel in the Democratic Party. There's no way to take it over and change the way it goes because there's no way to make these people do anything that they don't well, want yeah. to do. They will do what protects them, like what you saw in New York. How they they New York is the reason that they're not, that they're going to lose the House, and it's because the New York State Democrats were not going to do anything that uh, that they perceived as undermining their own power base. It didn't matter that that uh, undermined their ability to win races. That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter to them. Their specific and individual power base within the party is what matters. And they, so even in the face of, Hey, you, what you're doing is going to lose uh, races. You're going to lose power. They don't doesn't, that doesn't compute. They would probably prefer uh, to gain power. Maybe, although who knows, the, the, what matters is that, that they cannot act differently. There is no force 
to coordinate them in any interest other than their own most narrow self self-perceived interests. That's the only thing Democrats in the party and in power and in office can do. Well, I suppose then uh, one shouldn't feel bad at all for enjoying Republicans eating shit because it means it doesn't necessarily mean anything for the Democrats because if they had won, lost, draw, they would behave exactly the same way. Yes. De- defeat, victory, or dead draw, as we've come out with now. Yeah. The, the reason they have all these guys, these guys like fucking uh, uh, David Shore and these dudes, it's, it's like McKinsey. They're there to tell them that what they want to do anyway is the right move. That's always it. They're not deciding what to do. They're, they're, they're making self-interested decisions and then finding people in the media and in the pundit sphere and among consultants to affirm that that is the right thing, to, to assure the rest of us that they know what they're doing. It's interesting because among, um, among Democrats that overperformed on Tuesday, I would split them into two camps. Some are, yes, people who were gifted this, while others are people who in some sense, understand, you know, what time it is and understand like some things must be done in order to keep doing this. Um, The problem with the latter, of course, is that in order to do that, in order to keep delivering things or uh, otherwise, you know, win elections like this in years where there isn't a Dobbs, so much has to happen. Matt talked about how they're, you know, they can't, they can't do all these things Uh, for that latter group they would need to have an executive that would just, you know, ignore the courts or mm-hmm. deliberately weaken them. You would need the Federal Reserve to be a different thing than it is now. You would need a lot of different things. And unfortunately for that latter group, they really don't get to decide those things. I mean, it's it's a whole set of things that you see that's that's partially from like the left liberal Warren supporting people who are like, okay, now in the lame duck session, you know, let's add DC and Puerto Rico as states. You know, that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like this, will, I think this will be a, uh, a theme for uh, today's episode, but uh, we're already seeing the, uh, the rug pull uh, uh, coming for the, uh, you know, student loan forgiveness, like, oops, that's, oops, that's unconstitutional. And Biden just said today that like, sorry, we just don't have the votes for a federal, uh, federal abortion legislation uh and then by the way we're also not getting rid of the filibuster to do that so uh yeah back back to normal back to back to regularly scheduled politics in this country i guess here's a question though do you think um how many impeachments of joe biden are we going to get um one Uh, one? sadly zero Uh, we're not going to get the funniest thing that we was i was hoping would come out of a republican house is uh a branded impeachment because that now the uh, Republican caucus is completely held by the balls by these four New York uh, Republicans who cannot be the face of a fucking Brandon impeachment if they have any hope of keeping their seats. So we're not going to get our beloved Brandon impeachment, I don't think. We will get something funnier, which is, yeah, the Lebanon-style power-sharing agreement for the House. I mean, yeah. like, this is, this is going to be one of the funniest periods ever in the history of the house of representatives. I mean, okay. So it's maybe it does come down to a one seat majority for Republicans. There is never a time when all reps are there. Yep. You know, they're always doing, they're always going to some like fucking after dinner speech to raise money for reelection or going on some fucking junket to, uh, to Oman. Or they die. Or they die. These people are all 90 years old. They drop dead all the time. Or remember that uh <laughs> that dopey lady who died in a car crash? <laughs> yes. <laughs> they're they're representatives. They're not senators. They die like normal people. They're loser <laughs> stupid normal people. They're not archons like senators are. Yeah, we've established this. They don't have they don't have the Dune Shield technology yet for driving cars yeah. and walking downstairs. Uh I guess I uh, one other one other development here. I mean, how are you guys feeling about the uh Ron, Ron DeSantis, L. Ron DeSantis uh, as the Elizabeth Warren of the Republican caucus, like the, the you know, he can win if you if you believe in him kind of a candidate, because, I mean, polls are showing that he's up on Trump in certain areas. But one poll, yeah, one poll that showed Trump only up by seven points prior to this. Bullshit. Bullshit. I don't know. I don't buy that for a second. I I never want anyone to ever fucking show me anything by a Republican polling firm from now from here. Yeah. On. They don't know what they the just fuck make up doing. whatever they want. That's pretty established. Um, 
But like, I, I mean, like, what, do you think like the the pitch for Ron DeSantis is is eerily similar to the pitch for Elizabeth Warren because he's like he can get it done. He can take black yeah. people out of Disney movies, you know. Like, yeah, he's, he's, he's gonna, gonna hold have, hearings on it. He's gonna have charts about black Ariel. Yeah, he's gonna every Tuesday uh, on the in the Rose Garden when he's president, he's gonna read the name of boys who killed themselves because they were taught the sixteen nineteen <laughs> project and to hate themselves in school. Uh, well. Uh, we, we alluded to it uh, on the end of uh, last week uh, of the last episode we did. Uh, but I guess just uh, the, the other really uh, big news story from last week that's uh, still ongoing is the golden age, the, the, the return of Twitter as being a, a, a vital thing for our society, uh, 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 the modern agora. You know, so Elon Musk's Twitter, it's, we've had it for now for about two weeks. Fellas, I got to say, it's been great. Wonderful. It's pretty good. It's, I mean, look, uh, none of the parody accounts have been funny, but their effects on the real world have been quite hilarious. Oh, my like goodness. Like tanking, tanking Eli Lilly's stock by just saying insulin's free now. <laughs> if that, that's what it takes to fucking just crater Eli Lilly's stock market value is just people realizing, like, wait a second, why isn't insulin free already? Wait, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is... Uh, you know, it's like if Adbusters kind of worked a little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I mean, but then uh, Musk himself uh, just basically uh, being on Twitter, replying to people and just being like, hmm, interesting. We're working on that. I think the thing that's funny about like the, the Musk managed Twitter is, I mean, like, A, what a shit show it is. But B, also that they're realizing that like Twitter uh, was not run as a company that was like uh, some sort of SJW cabal seeking to like suppress speech. And I mean, I'm sure they do that in various ways, but I think it's like mainly they're finding out that it's a company that was desperately trying to find a way to make money. And yeah. I think now he's basically <laughs> going to reverse, he's going to reverse engineer all of the content moderation and management of Twitter that there was already in place because like that's the way to make it economically viable or like the only way to make it even approach being economically viable or attractive. I mean, it's not looking good for advertisers right now on well, Twitter. They, he convinced himself because he doesn't know anything and he's surrounded by a bunch of fucking people who just tell, tell him that his instincts are correct. He has the same instincts as a bunch of dumb rich assholes, which is to think, uh, yeah, like the, the, the political correctness that dominates uh, social media places, like the, the, the speech constraints are the result of uh, ideologically motivated G SJW jihadists. And that you could basically uh, bully them off of the point and then dom them because they're a bunch of uh, blue-haired pussies and they have no uh, grit. But it turns out uh, a company that is fueled by advertising dollars has advertisers who do not want to piss off vital segments of the market. And the market that you're protecting by going free speech absolutist is the aging dem is these is a demographic that is shrinking. Relative to the, all the other demographics and, and trying to appeal to them by necessity means alienating the actual growth segments in the market. So it doesn't matter if you're uh, what color your hair is or if you have a septum piercing, uh, the, the money tells you you got to get off that platform. And their only response, amazingly, was he thought that he was going to, like, get his army of fans to, like, to intimidate them the way they imagine that, you know, the, the um, social justice warriors do. But it, again, that's one weird segment of weirdos against everyone else. That's not a hard call. That's not a difficult decision to make for a company. The, the thing that is astounding to me, the most telling of uh, dumb things he said that was um, flagged by Birdwatch, which is the uh, dumb community flagging system with Twitter, is um, he said that Twitter is, it is the biggest driver of links Insane. more people click links from Twitter than anywhere else on the internet. And it turns it out like 10,000 times more driven from Facebook. Uh, yeah, but yeah, 7% by Twitter, 70% by Facebook, uh, by a factor. Yeah. Factor of 10, um, t neck and neck with Pinterest. I'd actually probably say that Pinterest drives it more if we're accounting for like bot shit, but it, it does that specifically was an amazing tell for me. Because, like, you know, what, what have we heard for years? Twitter isn't real life. You know, journalists are obsessed with, with Twitter. Journalists think Twitter is broadly representative of the world, uh, despite being a very small sliver of uh, social media. That is, you know, that's true. It does make you see the world with blinkers. 
However, it turns out that conservatives, they are they have those exact same blinkers on. Mm-hmm. They think that Twitter is representative of the real world, but you just have to turn off the shadow banning lever and the yep. search well, banning lever I- and the retweet throttling lever. And then <laughs> it, it's actually a true, uh, a true uh, Roman forum. I think he literally bought this thing thinking that it was the most broadly used thing in the world just because he's on it all the yep. time. If I'm on it, then it's got to be where it is that by definition, because I'm there. Yeah. Um, no, Felix, to your point, though, I mean, I think I think you see that in, in these people's obsession with bots and bot networks. I mean, this is exactly like the, the Russian uh, election hacking disinformancia, like liberal uh, liberal obsession with bots and Russian bot networks. I think it's just for a certain kind of boomer. If they encounter anyone disagreeing with them, they now assume it's a robot of some kind. They're like, like we've talked about this before, but they're all like Dwayne Hoover and Breakfast of Champions. And it doesn't really matter whether you're a liberal or a conservative. They just think any evidence of people not liking my posts or my follower count plateauing is the result of some sort of nefarious artificial intelligence <laughs> and not just, you know, the, the people you encounter on social media. Yeah, you see it in um, his replies. Anytime someone is like, you know, the thing he had today. We've deleted 20% of bloatware, and then two seconds later, oh, two-factor authentication doesn't work anymore. <laughs> when people are replying to him, when people are replying to him and going, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about, you're, you're breaking it, uh, everyone who has a uh, purchased blue check mark will reply to the unverified person saying this with a little robot emoji, just like Libs right after the 2016 election. Mm-hmm. Exact same thing. It's amazing. They've gotten to the point where if you... Aren't if you did not buy a uh, check mark so that you could be on on Elon's team, then that is prima facie evidence that you must be a robot. That's what they yes. decided. It's amazing. It's like and I'm sorry. Who is the person who is uh, uh, unthinkingly and automatically doing something that the company wants them to do? Yeah, that's you, motherfucker. You're the robot. Oh my god. Fucking plot twist. We do have numbers on how many people have uh, made that jump, have, have purchased a special Twitter blue for the checkmark. It's about 22,000 people, which is, um, okay, he would need 13 million to even service the debt. It's just off revenue. And they're actually making less of a profit off that special Twitter blue than they were in the previous era because of the pausing of blue chip advertisers. They're actually like losing money, probably... 20,000 20, subscriptions is probably losing them money because of the lack of ad revenue because they have to reduce the ads. They don't. It's not even ad free. It's half the ads. But I, I think he's <laughs> wait. Kind of Twitter Blue is not even ad free. It's just no. less ads. Jesus no. Christ. Yeah. The other. I mean the the thing the thing that is really amazing about the previous thing where it was like okay we're gonna counter boycott you know we're gonna we're gonna bully them into advertising on Twitter. It's, it's the idea that, like, Twitter is this amazing place to advertise that everyone wants to advertise on. It is it is a fraction of advertisers' budgets. They've never really given a shit about it because it's never really, like, done anything. There's a big yeah. debate over what advertising works and if it's overall effective or not. But certainly ads on Twitter are so negligible and uh, you can just you can just throw them away and not even notice that it's like, yeah, why would they come back? Yeah, there's no incentive to do it. I mean, unless they're afraid of getting uh, brutally pwned in the comments by uh, the Elon Brigade, which I'm sorry, uh, that's not that's not a social force worth worrying about when you're talking about your bottom line as a company. Well, I mean, another thing this has treated us to is like it's it's given it's given people on Twitter a kind of um, a keyhole glimpse into what it's like to work for one of Elon's companies, like a Tesla or something like that. And man, he seems like a competent manager and a good boss. I mean, I guess there is no such thing as a good boss, but it does seem like uh, like him, like I would imagine pretty much all of these guys, like what, what do you do? What, what, do you, what do you enjoy about being a CEO or running a company? The ability to fire people. That's, and, yeah, and push power, your weight around, and just swing, swing, swing your dick around. Yeah. Um, the uh, the L.A. Times has a, uh, a run up of headline: uh, "Is the world's richest person the world's worst boss?" What it's like to work for Elon Musk by Russ Mitchell for the L.A. Times, and he sounds like a complete. I mean, he sounds like a baby, but like also kind of a psycho. But like not that's in like all an, rich not, people though. Not in, in like an baby intimidating psychos. way. Just just like just just a baby. Like it just he like just lashing out and and also being like you know like like. You know, like sort of like a, yeah, a Christmas carol, except um, no one gets a goose at the end of the day. 
Uh, I'm just going to read for a couple of the, a couple of the things from the LA Times article. It says here, another whistleblower, Martin Tripp, moved to Hungary to escape the wrath of Musk after the news site Insider ran a story about excessive scrap waste at Tesla's battery factory in 2018. Private investigators hired by Musk to identify the source named Tripp, a factory employee. Tripp was fired. Tesla said he stole company data. Musk later called uh, a reporter to say he'd heard Tripp was on his way to the factory with a gun. The local sheriff's department later said no. He was miles away in Reno with no gun and no evidence that he had one. So uh, saying, that, saying that a whistleblower was going to do a, like, a, like, an office, like a workplace shooting at a Tesla factory, a Tesla battery factory, that's pretty good. And also, you remember, uh, remember during the, uh, when those Thai, the, the kids in Thailand were trapped in a cave and he, he said yeah, the, the rescue dog was a, a pedophile? Yeah. yeah. Uh, next up, it says, uh, one way Tesla lowered its injury numbers, according to Reveal, was by denying ambulance service to some injured, fact, injured factory workers who requested it. Medical staff were told not to call 911 without management permission. The electric car makers contract doctors rarely grant it, instead often insisting that seriously injured workers, including one who severed the top of a finger, be sent to the emergency room in a lift. Reveal said, quoting five former medical clinic employees at Tesla's Fremont Auto Assembly Plant. And uh, last but not least, we've talked about this story before. It's a good one. In another strange episode, Musk found himself tethered in what's become known as the horse for sex scandal. Business Insider also broke that story, which revolved around a lawsuit filed by a woman who said she was hired to provide massage services to the world's richest human. She alleged she was summoned by Musk aboard his Gulfstream G60ER private jet for a full body massage. And Musk showed her his erect penis, then touched her and offered to buy her a horse in return for sex. SpaceX paid the woman $250,000 in a legal settlement. I will buy you a new horse. <laughs> the, the weirdest uh, Musk workplace scandal was that he paid that woman to do in vitro fertilization of twins. Yeah. Yeah. Just um just um amidst like three other kids he was having. He just loves reproducing. He can't stop. That one that one I thought about a lot because his one of his big hobby horses is uh declining birth rates. Yeah. And sort of similar to this, similar to the uh forty four billion dollar boondoggle he's gotten himself into, he um I guess he worked himself up into a frenzy and went, Okay, I'll work on it. Yeah. Okay, I'll do it. <laughs> Did you see? So you've seen he he they just uh got to Twitter just got a big ad buy from SpaceX. Oh right. So <laughs> I mean I can't wait to you know buy a rocket uh off of the really persuasive ads that they're going to put on there. So this is like he's taking money from one of his companies to prop up uh his his position in this failing venture here, so he can he can get just some cash flow in here. And of course SpaceX is entirely dependent on government contracts. The company that he that he is leveraging to buy, he leveraged to buy Twitter in the first place. Tesla is, is, was built on contracts as well so that he, and so he leveraged one thing that is, is just government money. Uh, and is now literally just taking uh, government money out of another one to prop it up for a third thing that by any fucking reasonable measure should be a public utility, a thing like Twitter. They should all be fucking public utilities. It's like, what is the benefit? Look at this arrangement where we have the electric car company and the space company and the public forum company all owned by this fucking guy. What is his value add? Being an insane uh, uh, narcissist with a bunch of weird hobby horses that he gets to fucking put, uh, pursue to oblivion because there's no one to stop him. Where is the public benefit to these being privately fucking owned? Especially because... This is the guy who will take over. This is the guy who will reign in this era of, of privatized industry. Also, considering that the mechanism for him to publicly own it is not for him to go, OK, I'm cashing out forty four billion dollars worth of my equity and, you know, whatever bullshit venture. It's to just add tens of billions of dollars in debt on yep. the venture he's buying. The yeah. only thing. The only thing where they let you buy things that way. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, like, how are you, you set to own this after that? That's insane. When you take out a mortgage, you know, you're still you owe that money. This yeah. is the only thing. Nothing they don't let you do this with anything else, really. They don't let no. you go, um, okay, uh, I'm doing I'm 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 having a leveraged lunch. <laughs> I'm 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 buying a sandwich. Uh now the sandwich assumes nineteen dollars in debt. <laughs> <laughs> and then I it, can, it's, uh, it's it's it's, I can, it's insane. I can it's bundle insane. my shit and sell it back 
to the sandwich after I've digested. <laughs> yeah, it. yeah. Um, we're 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 pa- we're packaging we're packaging uh, securities based on how much we're gonna shit the next day, and <laughs> the revenue from that, believe me, it will um, be fine. But he, like, have you seen like also since this deal began, Tesla's the the shares are pretty much half what they what they were worth before. I know they had yeah. a stock split, but even given that, they've uh, they've declined by about half. Um, and I don't think it's just investors going, holy shit, it, you know, this guy's a fraud or this guy is obsessive or will uh, hype himself up into, you know, going into this boondoggle that will consume all his time. It's also the fact that in the long run, it doesn't seem like Tesla will be worth a trillion dollars. Well, I mean, now when everyone can see what its CEO actually like, what his actual thoughts and behavior are like in public, you know, because usually when someone's that wealthy, people just assume, oh, he must be smart. He must be, he must be good at what he does. But then is anyone going to want to get in a car fucking uh, created by the asshole who's <laughs> driving Twitter into the fucking ground? Or just but like, even beyond like, that, though, uh, like if Tesla isn't the only uh, like electric car company, you're, he's fucked right. because it has no advantage over like General Motors or any company that actually makes cars, which are now coming out with electric car, uh, uh, models that can compete with Tesla and be less expensive and not explode. And hey, here's one. Uh, it'll actually still drive if the company goes bankrupt, which will not be the case for your fucking Teslas. Right. Those things will brick right. the second they stop making payments. If we're looking at like Tesla's actual, you know, fundamentals, some of which investors looked at during the during the gold rush period. I mean, they are dependent on carbon credits yeah. to have any positive cash flow. And, and when other when other companies when other companies with increased man with much better manufacturing capacity and who make much better cars get into this space like what's going to happen the only why i put all his eggs in the fucking uh, automatic car bullshit because they were gonna they were gonna solve self-driving and be the self-driving company with proprietary software no you've just made uh uh, you've made a a a ground version of the f-35 congratulations (laughs) yeah that was that was their only play really right was to make um was to be like the self-driving car guys and then probably in his fantasies get out of the physical manufacturing business and just yeah get software licenses yeah they would be like ibm or microsoft but um yeah they just the only future i really see for tesla is you know being bought by someone else because people still want to some people would still want to buy roadsters at a highly highly increased cost and the only future I see for any of his companies operating independently at all would probably be SpaceX as a government contractor. Mm-hmm. And the, the only products they actually make that could make money are d- things that get paid for through defense contracts, not space tourism or any of this fucking bullshit. You have to divide his his companies into the shit, his hobby horse, and then the thing that they actually actually generates any positive revenue. And for companies that are entirely his hobby horse, like Twitter or like the boring company, that's nothing. That's vaporware. It's not going to, it will never make money. Yeah. It's like all the stuff that this singular genius is supposed to bring to these industries. All the innovation is actually all of the garbage and all of the stuff that's yeah. just weighing it down. The The stuff that makes money is just boring old stuff that, you know what? A government agency could much more efficiently uh, uh, manage at the end of the day, but not without, think- not with magic and bells and whistles. The fact that he still has defenders, though, it's it's stunning. But at the same time, it's inevitable because it is it is a theological belief in this country among millions of people that if you get to his position in in this country in 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 the in the rat race in the, in the struggle for all against all of the market, if you get to a position like he has, then you by definition uh, are in some way a genius. A, 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 you earned it. You you are the the evidence of your success proves your worthiness of your position. And they just can't give that up because if that's not true, then there's nobody at the fucking wheel of this thing. It's just a bunch of clowns and frauds just scamming their way from one quarter to the another until the fucking wheels fall off. I do want to close out the Musk thing. Could you see him? Because I floated this idea the other day, Robert Maxwell type ending. Okay, huh. actually, yeah, I, I was thinking about this in the back of my head when you were like, okay, like, th- this is the only area of the economy where you're allowed to buy something for $44 billion and essentially just take on debt to do it. Um, yeah, like, uh, could could he, I mean, like, because Elon is the world's wealthiest man, um, and just like, you know, and, and, 
as an individual, right? Like what he represents is so so grafted into like the US economy and like the global market, whatever you want to say. It's just like the all the all the sinews of his, you know, I don't know, drug cartel money laundering or whatever the fuck is going on behind the curtains there. Uh that like if he fucks with the money too much, could he have like a plane crash in his future? Could he have one of his jets hit the Pacific at like seven hundred miles an hour, obliterating <laughs> Yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, think about the guys who got burned lending him money on this. I mean, okay, Jay, the one guy who I think would already be drawing up plans to kill him wisely has not lent him any money, and that's Jamie Dimon, JP Morgan has very conspicuously avoided Musk loans for the duration. But I do think, okay, if you're if you're the higher level of the Bohemian Grove and you see like the the octopus system, that this guy is at the center of a Jenga tower that's worth like three trillion dollars when you connect it to a bunch of things. And you see how how much you can goad him into doing things because he has one of those personalities of a guy who got bullied too much and he mm -hmm. can't back down about anything. It's yeah. just like the check marks. The easiest solution to the check mark problem would be just make them a different color. But because he made this public stance, he can't be made to look like he's backing down. And mm -hmm. that same dumbass impulse will obliterate trillions of dollars. If you're one of those guys, maybe the smartest thing you think is yes, boat accident, and oh my god, what a tragedy that Nikolai Tesla, Thomas Edison of our age, has died and you know his jet collided with an oil drum factory. Oh my god, <laughs> how terrible! Uh, anyway, we're going to be taking these companies into conservatorship and juicing the government pro contracts and selling all the shit that's like we're going to turn your brain into a PlayStation 5. <laughs> Well, I mean, uh, back, back a little to, fantastical, sorry. but it's happened <laughs> well, before. Uh, well, as long as, long as we're, as long as we're uh, uh, you know, fantasizing here, uh, do you think um, he would uh, be paying employees to bear his children if there was like reliable technology that could scan your brain and upload it into a computer? Because I think yeah, it, like right. a lot of these guys, it's, like, it's sort of like the Jeffrey Epstein thing. I think a lot of these guys are kind of hedging their bets against being able to artificially recreate the neural networks of their brain in a computer, which mm -hmm. will never happen, or at least not in their lifetimes. With, they can't um, even get good hair plugs! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with spreading their seed as far as possible, like all those, all that weird Jeffrey Epstein stuff about freezing his dick and balls and stuff, and so he can keep siring children for a million years into the future. But, you know, Michael Hudson brought this up, like it, 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 the crucial element to like the plane crash rather than the boating accident is that it would obliterate his brainstem and any chance of like recreating his thoughts in a computer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's a very good point. I would like uh, it. I would like it if it worked a little bit, you could get a little bit of your consciousness in the computer, but he has to live in counter strike forever. <laughs> um, just getting, you could just pwn him Chinese eternally. Teenagers. Yeah. Well, Speaking of uh, scams and frauds, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very good transition. All right, well, uh, moving on from uh, one one flim flam to another. Let's talk about what's going on with Sam Bankman-Fried. In just the past five years, Sam Bankman-Fried went, went from buying his first Bitcoin to become a, becoming a multi-billionaire. The FTX founder is now worth an estimated $11 billion. He could have bought that Jordan jersey if he wanted to. His exchange is now worth $32 billion, and it brought in about a billion dollars in revenue just last year. CNBC's Kate Rooney has more on the CEO's rise to the top of the crypto industry. They call him the J.P. Morgan of crypto, right? Yeah, <laughs> the Michael Jordan of crypto, if you will. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, would it surprise you to know that the what the biggest cryptocurrency exchange just completely imploded after uh, what bo after borrowing its users' money to make risky <laughs> bets? But, <laughs> but no, it was effectively altruistic. How could that happen? Oh man, effective altruism. Uh, we did a bit about this at our New York show when we were talking about the uh, the the David Shore uh, a rave Burning Man party in his loft. But man, see, folks. I don't know if you're familiar with effective altruism. It's like altruism classic, except it's effective. It's effective. And, you know, uh, effective altruism, I mean, sounds like sort of a buzzword. But no, actually, it's a philosophy created by Bay Area rationalists 
who uh, are rationally approaching the problem of why do some have so so much? Why do why do so few have so much when the world is so full of poverty and suffering? Well, uh, altruism classic would have you believe that. Um, that's connected to how much wealth and power a small group of people have and that they should essentially be forced to give up some of their wealth and property? No, you'd be wrong. If you were a rationalist, you would actually be working to give those people even more wealth and power because they because can they use, can it use it most effectively save- because they're such geniuses. Like, why would you give it to a dumb old government when you could give it to these visionary masters of the universe? And we're seeing in every part of the economy, as soon as you just lightly turn down the free money dial... All of a sudden, all of that genius instantly evaporates. Like all that uh, world-defining brilliance that makes them the ones who should have all the money and power because they know better than anyone else. All of a sudden, uh, it's gone. All that I happened like, was their capacity to endlessly borrow money, and all of a sudden, they're not geniuses anymore. It's weird how that happened. Uh, uh, Felix, uh, you know, I, I, I gotta get, I gotta get your take on this. You know, Felix is the Mister Money of the show. So, Felix, uh, your your take on Sam Bankman Fried and the uh, collapse of his cryptocurrency exchange that was, uh, uh, you know, uh, Tom Brady, Tom Brady, and then Larry David, all the celebs were. I mean, this is like the Super Bowl was not even a year ago. Yeah. And this shit no. is like this is just no. Oh yeah. So at least Pets. Uh, com had a little bit more of a run. Uh, yeah. I I I, I want to to steal uh, to steal a little wordplay from the man who predicted this more than anyone uh, at Zitron, the city of freaks of Sam Bankman Freed. Sam Bankrun Fraud. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so so I was talking about this with with Ed. Think about this. Okay, we, we've talked a lot about how, like, um, Elon Musk compared to John D. Rockefeller or J.P. Morgan or any of those guys, how he said inf- everyone everyone uh, at the top of the billionaires list is an inferior intellect to their predecessors from 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. Sam Bankrun fraud. Okay, let's think about if um, Jamie Dimon or Lloyd Blankfein or any of the evil bankers from the 2008 era, let's think about them. Let's think about if they were allowed to own Nasdaq Okay, or the New York Stock Exchange, they're allowed to also be a bank. They're <laughs> allowed to be a brokerage house. Also, in addition to this, they're allowed to trade, and they're allowed to issue their own security and currency. <laughs> How much money do you think those guys make just by not being stupid? By being like, "Holy shit!" There's barely any regulation left. We can, if we're not. If we don't like, if we don't blow it all up, if we don't issue our own currency that we claim has forty percent APY, we could make ninety-seven billion dollars in three years. And then you give the same charter to Sam Bankrun Fraud, the the effective altruism dumbass. Look what happens. Look what fucking happens. I mean, is it effective altruism? Isn't that just a great microcosm of this? Because what have rich pricks like this always done? What is if you're a New York finance vampire? What is your favorite thing to do? It's to go to a charity gala. They oh, love, they love that it. Shit. They, they, they love Jeff Bezos problems. just announced he's giving away his fortune. You know, but like I'm sure yeah, just like, like a fam- family yeah. control Gates trust, jack me off, to fucking yeah. avoid taxation. And if anything, right. honestly, but, 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 Sam Bankrun fraud may be the most effective altruist of all time, given how many how much fucking money he's stolen from, how much wealth he's actually wiped out rather than having these assholes get to spend it the way they want in a fucking altruistic manner. Right. But like, okay, so they've been doing that for, they've been doing these bullshit charities that don't seem to help anyone for, for the longest time. And then, then you give money to Yale and then you give money to the opera house. And then this, and then that Sam Bankrun fraud, like everything, like how he's looking at finance, like how he said one day he'll buy Goldman Sachs. He looks at all these guys and he goes, Hey, why are you why are you doing it in the wrong way? You know, oh, I've invented a new type of private charity. It's effective. <laughs> it's effective charity. Just like how I've invented effective finance. I've invented a new effective form of currency. And it turns out he invented banking guys, without regulation. Yeah. It turns out all those guys who came before him they were doing all of that for a reason. Yeah, just like Twitter <laughs> does all the things they do for a reason too. Right. Those guys are doing that charity because it gives them uh, social cachet. It gives them connections to elected officials. It gives them it, it, it tax gives avoidance. Them, most importantly, tax breaks and tax and tax shelters. His replacement for that effective altruism, which I guess is just like microfinance on steroids. It didn't help anyone. 
Because the type of shit they were doing would be like, okay, they would do a math problem and go, there's only a 0.005% chance of AI taking over the world. But that's such a horrifying future that we need to spend $500 million <laughs> to prevent it from happening. <laughs> How many people did it help? I don't know. Maybe 8 million. Maybe they did prevent that. Who knows? But like everything else, it, it, it collapsed. It collapsed. It was ineffective. It, um, it, it left a group of 10 guys crying in the Bahamas. Uh, there is a good there's a good article in uh, The Lever by uh, Andrew Perez, Rebecca Burns and uh, Matthew Cunningham Cook uh, titled Washington's 32 billion dollar crypto scam, which is about how uh, Sam Bankrun bank fraud uh, basically tried to buy uh, his own regulators in D.C. by giving heavily to the Democratic Party. And I just want to read a little bit from this. It says here, uh, the collapse underscores how the 849 billion crypto industry down one fifth in the last week from a high of three trillion a year ago has been protected by regulators who are asleep at the wheel. While hapless ordinary investors suckered in with slick ads from prominent celebrities and athletes lose their savings. A few days after Bankman Fried's prescient comments on the Bloomberg podcast, FTX co-hosted a crypto confab in the Bahamas with world leaders, celebrities, and investors. On stage, Bankman Fried interviewed former President Bill Clinton and British Prime Minister, former British Prime Minister Tony Blair while wearing t-shirts, shorts, and New Balance sneakers. Okay, the t-shirts, shorts, and New Balance sneakers thing when you're interviewing a president and former prime minister is less interesting to me than like this was their this was their big rollout of a crypto conference they're like hey if you want to sell um that what we're up to is um not shady in any way i'd definitely host a conference in the bahamas with bill clinton as my fucking like <laughs> keynote speaker bill clinton and tony blair well you know you, the old saying uh first is tragedy then is farce it was like he was doing a kabuki theater of the 90s in one conference. Yeah. It's like he was doing, he was like, he was acting out a ceremonial repeal of Glass-Steagall. I know, like the people who were most <laughs> responsible for the 2008 financial crash, which happened because of their severing any meaningful regulation of the fucking, uh, <laughs> or like any, uh, severing any like uh, uh, d division between commercial and financial banking. And, you know, yeah, deregulating Wall Street. We're gonna, let's have those guys back to pimp for our new fucking, uh, you know, uh, yeah, a uh, banking 3.0. Like, it's, it's like bank. It's like old banking, except, you know, it's cool and effective. And, yeah, you're rolling out Bill Clinton and Tony Blair, the people who authored the last fucking economic collapse. Yeah. No, it was like a midsummer religious ceremony for deregulation. <laughs> uh, it says here, according to an industry public publication, Clinton suggested that regulators should adopt the do no harm mentality when dealing with cryptocurrencies. Politico announced that the event heralded the crypto industry's strange new respectability. At the time, Bankman Fried was fashioning himself as a political kingmaker, boosting crypto friendly candidates in a series of Democratic congressional primaries and getting advice from veteran Democratic consultants and younger quasi left upstarts. In May, Bankman Fried told NBC News he aimed to spend up to $1 billion on the 2024 elections. Now, just six months later, FTC, FTX has fully collapsed, according to Wall Street Journal. FTX had lent billions of dollars worth of customer assets to fund risky bets by its affiliated trading firm, Alameda Research, setting the stage for the exchange implosion. The downfall was swift when Binance, a competitor crypto exchange, announced on November 6 it was unloading its holdings of digital tokens issued by FTX and in which Alameda was heavily invested. Customers began pulling their monies from the tokens in FTX. Bankman Fried announced on November 8 that Binance was acquiring FTX pending due diligence before Binance pulled out of the deal. Soon FTX was out of money. Uh, there's just another... Uh, Really, uh, it's pretty pretty stunning detail in a, a Bloomberg article by uh, Matt Levine about FTX's balance sheet. And uh, right there, uh, Sam Bickman Fried's main inter international FTX exchange held just $9 million in easily sellable assets against $9 billion of liabilities the day before it collapsed into bankruptcy, according to investment materials seen by the Financial Times. The largest portion of those liquid assets listed on an FTX international balance sheet dated Thursday was $470 million of Robinhood shares owned by a Bankman Fried vehicle list not listed in Friday's bankruptcy filing, which included 134 corporate entities. Then it also said, goes on to say, a spreadsheet listing FTX's international assets and liabilities seen by the Financial Times pointed issues that brought Bankman Fried crashing back down to earth. It references $5 billion of withdrawals last Sunday and a negative $8 billion entry described as hidden, poorly internally labeled fiat account. So like this is like they're trying to sell the company and this is when you have to like actually 
open up the books. And what they saw was just like nine billion, nine hundred million dollars of assets against nine billion dollars in liabilities. And then apparently yeah. they just took a bunch of money out of it as it was failing. Just just yeah, opened just the back door. They put wallets. in there. Just yeah. pulled the money out. Yeah, I've seen some people allege that the out of that um you know final reserve shoot, the final money stash that they pulled out. They were essentially trying to gamble their way back to ten billion with the one billion. Always a winning strategy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, never give up. Just go to fucking like Macau or something and put it on black or whatever. You clearly don't know uh, an investment. I'm, I'm, all of a sudden, I'm going to figure out how to do this. No, just literally go to a casino, man. Do a fucking three team parlay. <laughs> you got a better chance there. I do wonder though, is this? With bank bankman fraud and uh, Musk, we're seeing what happens when just endless free money starts to get drained out of the economy. Uh, it, does that mean that these are really the canaries in the coal mine, and we're going to start seeing a bunch of companies that uh, appear, you know, maybe less obviously fraudulent, uh, maybe based on some sort of in, uh, fundamentals, but are going to see a similar uh, uh, crisis and a similar uh, economic collapse due to them in the coming uh probably like what with it with by the by by 2024 you got to imagine right i mean it does seem like the 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 heights of american capitalism are just all crooks like top to bottom like there's nothing real going on in any of these companies It, it, it really does seem like that i mean like just think about all the people who have been on the cover of forbes magazine over the last 10 years and how many right. of them are currently either facing a jail sentence or, you know, presided over the single greatest destruction of wealth in human history. Right. Well, we think, you know, one of the reasons that we pointed out, like, why uh, guys 100 years ago were so much more impressive, uh, the, the richest, you know, five Americans then compared to uh, now, is that now if you're among, you know, the 20 or 30 richest people in the world, it's a good chance that you 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 got there. Because you were, you know, you were at the right place at the right time with an emerging technology in an effective zero interest rate environment. Right. Which is like, if you already had money, if you're already in there, if your foot was already in the door and you don't make $10 billion, $10 billion in that environment, something is wrong with you. Right. And now, clearly, uh, even if you do do that, something's wrong with you. And like, you know, Andrew Carnegie, he, he built fucking libraries and museums and shit. This asshole was giving money to David Shore and Sean McElwee. I mean, <laughs> he was yeah. building rave parties yeah. and, and, and data for progress. The altruistic and, da- rave yeah. parties. OK, yeah. uh, but we are we are. I mean, like uh, now that he is public enemy number one, we are being treated to like uh, another 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 view behind the veil of this uh, bankman fraud character. Uh, this is courtesy of the Daily Mail. Inside the very millennial life of bankrupt FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried, teetotal vegan gamer 30 who claims to sleep four hours a night on a beanbag in his Bahamas penthouse that is also his office, which he shares with nine coworkers. Okay, can I just stop you there? Um, The idea that anyone would be shocked that a large portion of this guy's life takes place on a beanbag. I mean, that is the first thing I figured out about the guy. That is a beanbag using gentleman. It says, for a one-time crypto billionaire who rubs shoulders with A-listers from Tom Brady and Giselle Bunchen to Bill Clinton and Tony Blair, departing FTX chief Sam Bank-Fried leads an unassuming lifestyle. Some might even say boring. The 30-year-old nicknamed SBF is a teetotal vegan who sleeps four hours a night, drives a Toyota Corolla, and shuns designer clothes for scruffy loungewear and sneakers. It's likely that the only luxury he'll need to give up following the collapse of FTX is his exclusive penthouse in the tax haven of the Bahamas, which he shares with several of his acolytes. Bankman Fried lives in the apartment come office with nine of his staff, including his rumored on-off lover, 28-year-old Stanford grad Caroline Ellison. Ellison, a Harry Potter fanatic whose father is an esteemed academic, was CEO of Alameda Research, the trading firm launched by Bankman Fried, which is inexorably tied to FTX's downfall going on it's uh it gives a little little flavor about um how like uh basically the people who were living in this kind of uh bahamas polycule running the world's largest crypto exchange met at kind of like a like a sober frat at mit where instead of drinking alcohol they would like do larping and uh have play have pie and cake and stuff 
It says here, stunning penthouse aside, it's modest. Li- it's a modest lifestyle for a man who, until this week, had a fortune valued at sixteen billion. In fact, he is a self-proclaimed effective altruist, an ethos that can be loosely defined as using the resources at one's disposal to bring about as much good as possible. Repulsive. It says Bankman-Fried met Bankman-Fried met some of his FTX team at Epsilon Theta, a living group at MIT, which has been described as like a fraternity, but replace all the alcohol with the nerdiest stuff you can imagine. Indeed, Epsilon Theta's website explains, the house is socially dry, meaning that no alcohol is served at parties. However, visitors can usually expect to find costumes, cake, and or LARPing. Now, look, I know we made fun of these guys for uh, having alcohol-free parties, but I think there's something a little bit rich about the Daily Mail representing the country with like the worst drinking problem on the planet, being like, look at this wacky millennial lifestyle of these people who don't like drinking 18 pints of beer a night. Well, I mean... If Elon Musk has shown anything, it's that uh, psychedelics are actually worse than drinking. (laughs) (laughs) J.P. Morgan was such a drunk, he had that disgusting little cauliflower growth on his nose. (laughs) He's certainly a smarter guy than any of these people. I mean, do you you think he's going to jail? I mean, is he going to face any jail time for this? Or is this just uh, just sell off some stuff in the Bahamas and skate on this? Ah, I don't know. I mean, um, did he do anything illegal? I mean, it seems like it should be illegal to uh, just withdraw money from your customers' crypto accounts to fund bets that your the investment arm of the company you own is making. I mean, honestly, with crypto, I don't know. A big thing, a big thing with SBF specifically was. Um, do you remember that weird bill that uh, he was getting uh, Cindy Loomis and uh, Kristen Gillibrand to pass? Yes. The basically the the soft pedal regulation of crypto. I mean, I yeah. don't know. I I'm I watch all the crypto stuff at a extreme distance, and like I, the legality of certain things in America, I don't really know. Just I would guess he's not going to prison, and I would guess actually that it's more likely that in two years someone someone bankrolls a new venture by him. That is what I would guess. You you bring up the Christian Gillibrand thing, man. Like like I said, the, the all those Tom Brady, Larry David commercials. That wasn't even a year ago. It was even less time ago that like Christian Gillibrand and that other congresswoman appeared or senator appeared on like CNBC and was asked like, do you think it's a do you agree with regulators who say it's a bad idea to put like retirement funds into crypto exchanges? And they were like, no, absolutely not. We totally disagree with that. Please, it's God, great has, investment. Has, has Go ahead. Gillibrand, has Gillibrand ever seen anything on Twitter? And not gone, oh, that's a great idea. Well, I wasn't Sean McElwee like, very much associated yeah. with yes, Christian Gillibrand? Yes, he was Gilbert. her rim worm tongue <laughs> in her amazingly yep. hilarious 2020 presidential run. Yep. Guarantee you the, that's part of the reason that she became Mrs. Captain Crypto after that. Yeah, God. That was, talk about not that long ago. That was three years ago that yeah. Gillibrand tried being a dark horse contender for the presidency by repeating things that she saw on Twitter, that yep. Sean McElwee saw on Twitter. Yes, like he would going just tell out there, her the latest hot memes, and then she would just spit them out. And they're like, "I'm." He was thinking, "I'm going to the White House. I'm going to be Sam Seaborn." Yeah, his formula was like, if something got 500 likes, have have a Senator Gillibrand say it. Have her talk about Rosa Luxemburg. <laughs> well, uh, you know, so whether it's whether it's Musk or uh, bank <laughs> bank run fraud, uh, things are going great for uh, billionaires right now. But I, I'd like to end the show with a with a reading series that returns to an old favorite of ours. This happened like this was two weeks ago. But I, I, I think we, there's still some juice here. We've just been distracted by um, Elon and the midterm elections. But, um, but bad news, guys. Were you aware that Lucienne Goldberg just died? Jonah no. Goldberg's mother. Jonah Goldberg's no. mother just passed away. You might remember her from the Clinton impeachment as the woman who uh, basically gave Linda Tripp she got the Linda idea. Tripp to wear to, a wire, right? Yeah, gave Linda Tripp the idea to record mo- her conversations with Monica Lewinsky. But. You know, the, the, the grand dom has shuffled off this mortal coil. She is uh, she has passed through the veil to the other side, but not before Commentary Magazine wrote a great obituary for her by Jonah. Uh, sorry, not Jonah Gold, not her son, uh, John Podoritz, her not son. And I know it's hard to keep it's hard to keep these guys in track. Jonah, John Podoritz's mother is Mitch hard Decker. to keep the sons in track. All of these <laughs> yeah. brilliantly talented sons just hanging around, collected fucking pensions from the conservative media. So there's a really lovely obituary for Lucienne, uh, 1935 to 2022, in commentary by John Podhoritz. And I, I thought we, we, we'd dip into that for the end of the show. So uh, it begins, Lucienne Goldberg was, she owned the term proudly, a broad, a grand broad. 
big, blousy, sexy, and up for a good time from morning till night. Would you like me to read that again? I get it. She's abroad. She's, she's a good time Sally. But sexy is, is the adjective that I am raising an eyebrow to in, in this. Open. I mean, like, isn't it? It just, you know, you can, uh, I, I, John Potter, I know it's not his mom, but I mean, it's his friend's mom. And it's just, I don't know, big, blousy, sexy, and up for a good time from morning till night. Uh, Jonah, no, let no one say your mom wasn't a big whore. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she was portrayed by, uh, who's the actress from Justified season two? What's her name? Margot Martindale. Yeah, Margot Martindale. She was portrayed by Margot Martindale in the American crime story about the impeachment. It's just if I, I'm sorry, I mean, no disrespect to Margot Martindale, but if she's portraying you in, 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 in like a made for TV version of your life, I don't think the word sexy is really going to come to mind. Uh, going on, uh, he writes, she was the first and last person I ever knew to spend her days inserting cigarettes into a cigarette holder and smoking them with relish like she was attending the blowout party and breakfast at Tiffany's. She was my dear, dear friend for 40 years. It was Lucianne, the literary agent, whom I turned to in 1983 when I had my first idea for a book, a parody of TV Guide during the days when parodies were all the rage. She was maybe the only agent in New York at the time who represented conservatives. The day she went out to publishers with the proposal, someone else sold the same concept. The project was not to be, and the version that was ultimately published was a dud. But thank God for its abortive existence, because she became a part of my life and never stopped being so." The idea that in the 80s we were robbed of a TV guide parody written by John Podoritz is just something that I don't think I can take on into my brain. There's too much bad stuff in there already. And now I'm just thinking about, you know, a Mandela effect universe in which that book exists. Lucienne was maybe the most surely fun person I've ever known. Full of good high humor and gossip and tales about everyone we knew ever knew in common. And plenty she only knew. And plenty everybody knew. What a storyteller she was. Cynical and world-weary and finding the humor in just about everything. And she had an essentially comic view of the world in which one way or another we were either, either all fools or tumblers. She started an anti-women's lib group in the 1970s called the Pussycat League as a joke. And it provoked outrage that absolutely delighted her. She was not a demi-mundane, but she was a confidant to many who were. A friend of hers who lived on the edge of financial disaster found security in a rent-controlled apartment she rented out by the hour. And by allowing a once-famous New York City radio personality with a personal picadillo to study her toes. I don't, I don't, know, where, I don't know where this is going here. I don't, who, who do you think is the New York radio personality who was into toes? So she's renting out a, an apartment by the hour to a New York City radio personality who's into toes? Is that what I'm getting here? He likes feet, and she showed him her feet. That seems to be uh, what he's saying. I mean, I, I'm I actually a, fa- I, they, she's actually <laughs> got me here. Now I want to know more. Now I'm, I'm now I, I like maybe there's more to Lucianne Goldberg than I thought. I want to hear. I want to hear more of these stories. I mean, I'm shocked at how just horny. Say, oh this yeah, there, there was a guy. He had a he had a thing, but she let him look at his her feet. Like, wait a minute, what? How do you know about that? For one thing, well, they were dear dear friends. Uh, Another person who helped her with her news aggregation website in a faraway state, someone whom she never met, to my knowledge, Lucienne being one of the first people to live most of her life on the Internet, called her one day to say she was going to have to take a break because the police had for some reason decided to arrest her for attempting to kill her husband. These friends love Lucienne because they believe she didn't judge them. Oh, but she did. She did. I mean, that's another throwaway anecdote that's just like I would like more explanation here. She was around in the early 1960s when JFK was cutting a swath through his aides at the White House, which served as a preparation for the moment she became world famous. That was at the end of January 1998 when she became the public representative of Linda Tripp, the intimate and betrayer of Monica Lewinsky, whose taped phone calls, taped on Lucienne's advice, revealed the relationship between Lewinsky and President Clinton. You've probably forgotten, but I haven't, the hilarious spectacle of a hundred reporters standing on the sidewalk at 84th and Broadway in front of Lucienne's building as she calmly and with a Cheshire cat smile replied to the screams of America's journalist. That's not a Linda Tripp question, she would say in her sing-song voice if they asked her what her agenda was here, or the angle, or whatever. And unlike other people who have been in the Destroy the President game, she didn't make any bones about it. When Lewinsky Gate ultimately came a cropper, she was even keeled. If you go at the king, you best still kill the king, she said, and we didn't. What a life lived by this lady here. I want to know more about the toes. That's all I, that's all I got out of any of that. I mean, she I goes on to say that the situation where she's helping out 
a friend with peccadillos by letting him study her toes? Like, what the fuck does this mean? I need to know. She goes on to give it here. I mean, John goes on to tell a story about how uh, uh, they were eating at a restaurant and Bill Clinton was at and she told Lucienne and she came to the restaurant and then he like schmoozed her for 10 minutes and then she came away dazzled by his charm and brilliance. To my other dear Goldberg friend, Jonah, and to Jonah's fair Jessica and to Lucienne's namesake, their daughter, Lucy, I can only wish they find solace in knowing that they, like me, had been given a gift by God. This great broad was certain loved by her presence in our lives. So RIP to a real one. R.I.P. Bozo. R.I.P. to Lucianne Goldberg. A great broad. Just a great broad who we, we're all, we, we all remember her toes. <laughs> I'll remember those toes, don't we, folks? Well, what do you think, guys? Uh, that wrap it up for today's episode? Yep. All uh, right. The only, what I'm getting from the sleek and finance news is the only safe investment is uh, canned food and shotguns. So get in on that. Get on the ground floor there. I can never, you can never go wrong buying municipal bonds. All right, gang. Until next time. Bye-bye. Blue his house with a blue little window and a blue Corvette. And everything is blue for him and himself and everybody around. Because he ain't got nobody to listen. To listen. I'm good. I've been beat up the night. 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 I've been beat up the night.